Braves and baseball fans, it's time to take a trip from coast to coast across Major League Baseball. There it goes, a long drive. If it stays fair, home run. One strike away. Sandy into his windup. Here's the pitch. Swung out and missed a perfect game. Fly ball deep left center. Grissom on the run. Yes, yes, yes. Left side, Swanson to first. Braves and baseball talk straight from the diamond. Here's Grant McCauley. Hello and welcome to another episode of From the Diamond. As always, I'm Grant McCauley, and we are officially in the holiday season, in the midst of hot stove season. With a few different countdowns going on. One, as we pull the final few days off the calendar for 2023 and approach January 2024, a new year means a new season, which means the countdown to spring training is also on, and we are under two months as far as that's concerned. And I think everybody, maybe in the back of your mind, even though it's not right around the corner, that little countdown to opening day, it's ticking along as well. On this episode of From the Diamond, we'll talk a little bit about the Braves' most recent move coming out of their trade with the San Diego Padres, cutting loose Matt Carpenter. What does that mean? Does it mean anything at all? I'll talk a little bit about that. And I'm thrilled to have C.J. Nikowski join the show. On Monday, he was named the new analyst for Bally Sports South, so he'll be joining that television booth for the Braves this year. And I'll have a chance to talk to him about his time with the Rangers, his playing days, everything along his broadcast journey that's brought him to Atlanta and how excited he is for what is a bit of a homecoming for C.J. Nitkowski as he joins that Braves broadcast. Before I get into all of that, I want to remind you, as always, make sure you subscribe to From the Diamond wherever you get your podcast. Not only would I love for you to subscribe, but I'd also appreciate if you'd leave me a rating and a review. That helps the show grow. And if you're loving what you hear here on From the Diamond, make sure you tell a friend. That is very much appreciated as well. You can also follow along on social media. You'll find me at Grant McCauley on most platforms. You can like the show on Facebook. Just search for From the Diamond. show is also on Instagram and X, so you can find it there. And if you need links to any or all of those things and my other work, FromTheDiamond.com, top navigational bar. has a few useful links for you, so I hope you'll check that out. Before I welcome CJ Nikowski to the show, I did want to cover a little bit of Braves news that we got this week. It was from their trade last Friday with the San Diego Padres when the Braves acquired left-handed reliever Ray Kerr along with the veteran DH Matt Carpenter. Now, the initial reports from Mark Bowman and others were that the Braves would do exactly what they did with some of the other undesirable contracts that they've taken on this winter, and that is trade a player away to get a little bit of salary relief, but they've been willing to take on the money if they're able to acquire a player that they like. Now, the domino, the first one, the big one that fell, was acquiring Jared Kelnick, along with a couple of undesirable contracts that came from the Seattle Mariners. They then pulled off a trade with the Los Angeles Angels, have been working to whittle that number down, And now another deal, not unlike those other two, in which they were willing to take on some money in order to acquire a player that they like in Ray Kerr. Now, I discussed that move on the most recent episode of From the Diamond, so I'd invite you to check that out. But again, the expectation was that Matt Carpenter would not be long for Atlanta, and in fact, he is not. On Monday, he was released by the Braves, who still owed him $4 million of the $5.5 million salary he was slated to make for the Padres upon signing a two-year deal prior to 2023. Again, the Braves were hoping to deal him away the same way they did Marco Gonzalez, Evan White, and Max Stassi. They held on to David Fletcher, but even he has been moved off the 40-man roster, though I would imagine. Come spring training, Fletcher has a role to play, and I thought, maybe momentarily at least, that the Braves might want to keep around a veteran bat like Carpenter. 
But as you start to dig into the numbers since 2018, there just wasn't a lot that was looking very promising. In fact, the only thing that got him that two-year deal with the Padres was an outlier stay with the New York Yankees, a very brief one at that, in 2022. In 47 games, he clubbed 15 homers and batted over 300. That looked like the Matt Carpenter of old, and I mean the Matt Carpenter of about a decade ago. But even with that hot streak with the New York Yankees, the last 432 games for Carpenter, he's batted just 210 with an OPS over 700, and even that is largely because of the power outburst that he had in New York with that short porch. He's hit 42 home runs since 2019, so that's parts of five seasons. He hit 36 home runs in 2018. He's just not the same hitter, and last year with the Padres batted 176. He did take his walks, but the power, it cratered. It was no longer there, and at 38 years old, it really didn't seem like it was going to be a good fit for the Braves as anything beyond perhaps a pinch hitter, a veteran guy around the clubhouse, but otherwise, and with the DH at this point, you just don't have that many pinch hitting opportunities, and even if you did, Matt Carpenter's hitting over the last few years has been suspect at best. So the Braves decided they would cut him loose, eat the remaining $4 million, and continue their winter of searching for pieces that are fits on this 40-man roster. And while Carpenter was not one, they believe Ray Kerr is somebody that could help them out in 2024 and beyond. So that's a little bit of the transactional news, if you will, from this week. But Monday was a very busy day across Braves country. December 18th is the birthday of the reigning National League MVP, unanimous MVP at that, Ronald Acuna Jr., who added some more hardware to that trophy case as he won the Hank Aaron Award for 2023 as well in Las Vegas over the weekend. But Ronald Acuna Jr. turning 26 years old, I said this on social media, when you look at a 40-70 season unanimous MVP and all of the other accomplishments, statistically or otherwise, for Ronald in 2023, I don't know what he's going to do for an encore, but I'm excited to see what's ahead for the talented superstar right fielder of the Atlanta Braves. And not only was Monday the birthday of Ron Lacuna Jr., but there was also big news on the broadcast front, where C.J. Nitkowski, formerly of the Texas Rangers, was named the new Braves television analyst. And that announcement came along with news that Jeff Francoeur is going to scale back his schedule and only work select dates for the Braves in 2024 because he wants to spend more time with his family, particularly his young kids, as they are growing up. And there's only so much time to go around, and playing the role of dad is something that Jeff is very much looking forward to. So good luck to him. But also, hello and welcome to a new member of the Braves broadcast team. C.J. Nikowski spent the last six years with the Texas Rangers after a playing career that took him literally all around the world. As a left-handed reliever in Major League Baseball across 10 seasons, with a pitching career that began in 1994 as a first-round pick of the Cincinnati Reds and did not wrap up until 2012. The Braves were one of eight teams that C.J. Nikowski pitched for in his major league career, but he embarked on that broadcast career as soon as his playing days were done, serving in a variety of roles and making it to the Texas Rangers to join their television broadcast team in 2017. Now I could sit here and tell you all about what C.J. Nikowski has done, or we can talk to the man himself. Well, C.J., congratulations first and foremost. Thanks for making some time, and just uh, how crazy has the last 24 or so hours been for you? Well, Grant, first of all, thanks for having me. Um, yeah, it has been... Uh, it's been nuts for sure. It's been really exciting. A lot of emotion involved. You know, my wife and I, we've been having these conversations for a couple of months, knowing that this might've been a possibility. Mm -hmm. And so there was a lot of going back and forth, a lot of emotion about even asking the Rangers to allow me to leave because we had a great situation there. And so that was a really tough thing. And we love the people there and certainly the people that I worked with. Uh, but then knowing what this could be as you know, a family that's lived in Atlanta now for about 18 years, um, we never even thought that this would be a possibility. So you have all that kind of emotion on both sides, and then it actually happens. And we have the press release, and 
got a really positive response. It was really overwhelming how nice everybody has been. And so, yeah, it's been uh, it's been nuts, but it's been really fun. It feels like quite the full circle moment. I mean, we'll talk about all the different connections that you have, both to the Atlanta area, having played for the Braves briefly during your career, and, of course, uh, what brings you to this broadcast booth. But before we get into 2024 and beyond, I kind of wanted you to tell me a little bit about 2023. You mentioned the Texas Rangers, who were in the place that every club wants to be. They won the World Series. So you spent years watching this club try to build that winner, and they won it all this season. What was that ride like, and just how much fun was it to see the culmination of all that work? Yeah, it was really incredible. It's still kind of surprising, to be honest with you, yeah. as I sit there and reflect on it in December. I've been there for seven years. The first six, I think they were a combined, I can't remember, it was 124, 126 games under 500 mm-hmm. uh, over that six-year period. So every year they were under, including a better than 100 loss season a couple of years ago. So we, not that we got used to it, but it was just that's the, the stage that the organization was in, as you mentioned, trying to rebuild, get back to where they were prior to that and get a winner on the field. And then just to go to the complete extreme, you know, in the offseason, a lot of people looked at the signings and said, well, what kind of turnaround could you really have? Yeah. Look where they were in 22. What, what's their reality to have such a dramatic turnaround? And at one point, they were on pace to win more than 100 games. What made it more amazing, like it was great to watch the team win. It's very easy to, when, to do my job when the team is winning, and there's a lot of depth and a lot of different positive storylines. Uh, they went to a really rough stretch, though, August into September. They went 4-16 and 16 over a 20-game stretch, started to struggle, uh, and then they lost the division on the very last day of the season. Went into Seattle for a four-game series, dropped three of those games, lost the final one, one to nothing. All they had to do was win it, and they would have won the division. Uh, they lost it and had to go to Tampa for the wild card. And at that moment, like all the air kind of got sucked out of the room. I was like, man, this team is in trouble. Right. And then they just went on this ridiculous run in the postseason. Like It was just like, you know what? They got on the plane from Seattle, flew to Tampa, had the day off, and they just rolled. And it was really kind of incredible. I mean, you take that lesson away about, you know, we talk so often about teams – playing well once you get into the postseason. The idea of momentum, they had none going into the postseason. Right. But they just basically reset and started their own momentum. And so that part was incredible to watch. The American League Championship Series with the history between them and the Astros, the first time they ever meet in that ALCS was incredible. Of course, the Astros won everything last year. They've kicked the Rangers' butts the last few years. And that was really crazy to see all the games that were won on the road, down 3-2. to two. Uh, that to me was the moment um, that was maybe the most intense and just incredible to see them pull that off and then go and win the whole thing against the Diamondbacks. Uh, none of it really makes sense on paper. No, it never does. I think that's one of the beautiful things about October is we get used to the everyday marathon approach of the 162 games. Then you get into October and it, it's really kind of more of a sprint. I mean, it's about going out there and utilizing your players and your strengths more so in just to win a given day than you would at any point during that 162. And I think October lends itself to that kind of chaos. And all you got to do in order to uh, perhaps write the story that you want to, the way the Rangers did, the way the Braves did a couple of years ago, is just find your way in there. Because who knows what in the world can happen into October. And speaking of the Braves in October, the last couple haven't gone the way that they wanted it to. But as you were talking about the Rangers and their trek through their championship run, it sounded eerily reminiscent of a couple of years ago as the Braves finally found that momentum that they were looking for. Uh, let's dive into this Braves broadcast that you're joining alongside Brandon Gauden on Bally Sports. Jeff Francoeur will be part of that, Tom Glavin as well. A few moving parts here as you come on board. And uh, When did this opportunity land on your radar? And uh, Talk a little bit more about how exciting it is to come home in a way, because as you mentioned, you and the family have lived here for a while. Yeah, we and again, never thought this would be a real possibility. It was actually when the Braves came to town two years ago, in 2022 in Arlington, uh, Frenchie had pulled me aside 
and said, hey, do you think you'd ever be interested in doing Braves games? And I said, well, yeah, what kind of question is that? Of course, as much as I love this, <laughs> the idea of being home. And he said, I'm thinking about, you know, maybe stepping back a little bit. Uh, but that was two years ago, and mm-hmm. nothing really came of it the past offseason. And it would have been an easier transition at the time because uh, at that point, my contract had just ended. My contract was ending that year. So I was like, well, if there's ever a time that it would be an easy time to do it. Didn't happen. Nothing came of it. And then I heard from him again last year, late in the season. Um, actually, I first heard from John Smoltz uh, reached out to me. And um, he lives pretty close by me here in Cherokee County and, uh, of course, played with him for a little bit, but I've known him for a long time now and much closer in the, in the broadcast circles. And he said, hey, man, I think this job may open up here, and I think you'd be a perfect fit for it. Um, wanted to let you know. So we had a you know, couple of conversations about that. Uh, I've heard from Ben Ingram knew the job was opening up. Uh, he reached out to me at one point and said, man, I think you'd be a good fit. And so you start to get excited about a real possibility. Yeah. And then I heard from, from Frenchie and he told me what was going on. And, you know, because that's he's so locked in and so good. Like, what are the odds of anything really opening up here? And um, he said, yeah, I'm going to step back and got the young kids and totally get it. And so then it started to become a potential real opening. And then it was, well, are they interested, mm-hmm. right? That's the other part of it. It's one thing to have an opening. Would they be interested? And so started having some conversations there, kind of throughout the postseason. And uh, Derek Schiller said, um, Sal, I was going to wait till you know, kind of postseason was over, obviously, with the Rangers going on the run. And that, that's when things kind of picked up a little bit more uh, after, the po- after the World Series had ended. I uh, had a bunch of different meetings and conversations with folks throughout Valley, with Valley and, and the organization with the Braves. And then eventually said, you know, we'd be interested. So then that next step was, okay, now I got to go to the Rangers and, and let them know this is real and that I would like to take it, you know, if they're going to offer it to me. And that yeah. was a tough conversation yeah. just because, again, I like them so much and they're so good to me and have been. But they were great. They were really, really good. I appreciate their professionalism and their understanding. And I'm 50 years old now and, man, life goes by fast. And start thinking about family and time away and keep telling people and I was spending – Somewhere between uh, maybe 125, 130 nights a year on the road. Um, I'd say full year every three years. Like yeah. when I stop, when I step back and think about it that way, I was like, man, you know, I'll keep grinding because you do what you got to do for your family. And I didn't have the kind of career where I can just sit back and, you know, just cruise into retirement. And I love working anyway. And so the idea that it was available um, and that I could get off the road a little bit more was really appealing. And they understood that. And I mean, I owe everything to the Rangers for even allowing it to happen because I know they like my work, and I still had a couple more years left on my contract with them. Well, that is tremendous. I was listening to a podcast, and I can't remember the exact stat. If you have a half-an-hour commute every day, five days a week, like how much that adds up to over the course of a year, like how much time you end up spending in your car, well, put that aside, because as you mentioned, spending that much time away on these trips to follow these teams and to do what it is, you know, that seven or eight months, if you're lucky, requires is asking a lot. And I think it's kind of a, a beautiful, I don't know, synchronicity between – your opportunity to come home, and obviously for Jeff Francoeur, as you mentioned, I mean, the family thing is super important, and to be able to make the most of that time in your kid's life, which you're never going to get back, it seems like this has worked out really well for both of you guys. Yeah, for sure. He has much younger kids than I do. Uh, I have one that's uh, graduated from Georgia College. I have one that's about to graduate from UGA, mm-hmm. and then I have my sophomore uh, in high school up here in Cherokee County, and so you're right. You get into that phase, and uh, life goes by quick and, and they're still close by and, and so it's even to be able to get involved a little bit more i mean the schedule in general for baseball is you know it's so strange i've been with my wife since college so she's just used to it yeah right because it's you know it's hot or cold because in the six months you're completely off mm-hmm. right and you're home every day and that part's great um but then the travel starts and as you mentioned um just start to add up the days a little bit 
And somebody said to me the other day, so, well, you know, how far away are you from the ballpark? I said, I don't know, you know, maybe, maybe 45 minutes somewhere in there. And they're like, oh, you think the drive's going to wear you out? I'm like, no. I'm like, if you hear me complain ever about driving back and forth to the ballpark, <laughs> please remind me uh, what things were like when I'm sitting in a hotel in an off, on an off day in you know, uh-huh. Dallas-Fort Worth area just losing the whole day uh-huh. um, and thinking, man, I could be home right now, but I'm not going to fly home for one day. Uh, and so, yeah, it's it's to me the driving and, oh, well, yeah, for sure. it's uh, It can be a lot depending on your daily lifestyle, but for me, um, I welcome it with open arms. No doubt. That's a trade you'll make every single time. Let me ask you a little bit about the broadcast side of things for the Braves. I know you spent some time here, and I'll get to this a little bit later, briefly during your playing career, but the Atlanta Braves broadcasting, I think, is one of the many things that makes this club so special. You go back to Ernie Johnson Sr., Skip Carey, Pete Van Weeren, to Joe Simpson and Don Sutton joining the fray. I know now Ben Ingram is carving out a nice spot for himself on radio. Jim Powell has been a big part of this as well. You look on the TV side, Chip Carey spending a couple of decades here, carrying on that legacy, and Jeff Francoeur, Tom Glavin, John Smoltz. I mean, this is a who's who, I feel like, of great broadcasters, and Brandon Gauden being the most recent addition to that crew. How excited are you to work with Brandon, but also just kind of looking, I guess, into the lore, if you will, of Braves broadcasting to be a part of that fraternity? Yeah, I mean, the history part of it for for me first really does stick out and, and very well aware of the names that you mentioned and really kind of what Braves baseball meant to what we have now, uh-huh. right? As far as cable and what we get every night, of course, we're, a lot of us are old enough to remember that not every game was always on TV and what the Braves did with TBS, I think really kicked off you know this huge move. And I know we got some adjustments now that are being made sure. with cable television and everything else, but I mean, they really did set the standard, not just the fact that they had huge reach, which was really important for them and their brand now, uh, but just the quality of the broadcast that they were putting out and what it means. I mean, I was always somebody who was interested in broadcasting and had conversations in the past uh, with Joe about it, had conversations with Jim Powell. You know, I used to play tennis at the same place and um, met him probably, I don't know, maybe might've been right at the beginning of my broadcast career, actually, but over a decade ago. And so he was a guy who I asked a lot of questions to and and, uh, put me in in touch with Derek. I want to say it was about 2012. I did two Braves radio post game shows just kind of sat in uh, with Ben. Uh, it was one of the first things I ever did. And Jim helped me kind of you know, put me in touch with the right people, even to make that happen as I was transitioning out of the game and just looking for any anything to try, uh, you know, anything for free just to just to get a taste of it. And so yeah. one of the very first things I ever did was with Ben um, and did a, and a couple of post game shows. And, and so those guys who were reporting along the way, I would ask Don questions about it when I was here about broadcasting because I, you know, at some point I, I really thought my career was over like each of the last eight years. Like I kept hanging on for like another year, but I was like, Oh, this is probably it. And found another opportunity. Or, uh-huh. This is probably it. And then something opened in Japan or Korea and kind of just kept going. I had the softest landing into retirement or, you know, not playing anymore. But when I was here playing the brief time I was here, I would asked some questions about it and, and always continue to remain curious. because I love talking broadcasting with yeah. people that have been there and done that. And, Remember a conversation he had about me about kind of how he imagines the audience and, and different things and different techniques that he would use. So I feel fortunate to be able to have you know gone into some of that history with some of the names, some of the great names that have been uh, with the Braves uh, to help kind of shape me a little bit um, with my career. I remember all those conversations and, and different things and the way guys approach stuff. So they've been very helpful. And I certainly respect all those that have gone before me. I was in a very similar situation in Texas when I took over for Tom Grieve. Uh, not nearly the reach and maybe the national appeal the way the Braves have, but sure. Tom Grieve, uh, Mr. Ranger, played for him, 
general manager, front office, was in the booth since 94, I believe it was, so 94 to about 2017 when I got there until he started backing off. And so I know what it's like to follow big names and, and what that means in the disruption for fans. And i got to give them a little bit of time. you got to earn their respect and you continue to always work at that. Um, but those, th- those things matter to me. They're not lost on me. Uh, and then the idea of, of joining Brandon, I was excited for him when he got the job last year. Didn't know him, didn't know much about him, but said hello to him when the Braves were in town, when they were playing the Rangers. We've had a couple of conversations since then, and a friend, she loves him, and uh, it was a really great first year for him. I mean, how quickly he endeared himself to this fan base was pretty incredible. Because Again, it takes a while, I think. Um, and knowing, again, when you disrupt a voice from uh, from a fan base, they're always a little like, hey, wait a minute, who's this guy? And my goodness, he got it done really quickly, and then they love him. And so I'm thrilled about that and just kind of hoping to follow in those same footsteps. Yeah, it's an incredible relationship that I feel like broadcasters build with a fan base. You mentioned what Pete Skip, Ernie, and so many others did on TBS and that, you know, extending itself on to Joe and to Don and then all the way right on down to Jim and Ben. And and we could go through that list of names again. But I feel like baseball creates, because of the daily nature of it, that opportunity to have those conversations each and every day, which allows you to really get to know your audience or at least allow your audience to get to know you. And I think that's another fun thing about the broadcast world. And, you know, having done pre and post games, having worked a little bit with Ben and all of these guys. And even when I broke in was 2004, it was just standing in the back of the booth and watching Skip Carey and Pete Van Weeren, Joe Simpson, Don Sutton, watching those guys prepare for a broadcast. And at 23, 24 years old, I was a little bit too nervous to go start a Q and (laughs) a but it was just open the door kind of, I don't want to say it was like the wizard of Oz moment where everything went from black and white to color, but to start to get an idea of just how much work goes into the broadcast, but also how much love for the game is built into that. That always came through on those broadcasts. You, you talked a little bit about this, but your process of going from a player to a broadcaster, walk me through a little bit of how you decided to give that a shot. And you've already talked about some guys who were influential to you, but uh, when you were playing, was it ever something that you thought about, or is it a more singular focus at that time on your actual playing career? I thought about it. I was always kind of enamored with the media and just everything that they did in, in the industry, and, and like so many other baseball fans, you know, I, I grew up uh, listening to baseball on radio and going to bed at night listening uh-huh. to baseball games on radio, and so I always, again, was just uh, a fan of, of what baseball broadcasts were about. And so once I became a professional and then had a little bit of a, a closer seat and the opportunity to have some conversations, I always developed pretty good relationships with the media throughout my career, uh, which might have been easier, right? Not being a star player that, you know, I knew they weren't coming to me to ask a bunch of really important questions. We could just kind of, you know, talk shop a little bit and mm-hmm. talk baseball and talk podcasting and always, uh, and media, even on the, on the writer side of it as well, making sure that I developed relationships just because I enjoyed the, the conversations and what they did. Uh, but there was a moment in uh, 1999, I was playing in Detroit and I was having a conversation with Bob Valvano, who was in town, Jim's brother, of course, longtime ESPN radio uh, personality. And he had said to me, he said, you know, I do, you know would, would you be interested in, in coming on uh, my show during the during the postseason, Tigers were definitely not going to be in the postseason during that time, and was just looking for someone to add some mm-hmm. additional analysis. And so I did it for free, and, and was happy to do it, and did it for three years uh, with him, and started kind of keeping uh, some tapes and other things, and continued that. And uh, 2004, when I was here, I ended up finishing the season in New York with the Yankees, and was not going to be on the postseason roster. And so I reached out to WFAN and said, "Hey, I've done this before." if you'd be interested and, and they were. And so I did that for them throughout the Yankees postseason. That was the year, of course, they lost to the Red Sox after they mm-hmm. jumped up 3-0 in the American League Championship Series. So I got to do that with, with Steve Summers in that market. I just kept my tapes and kept doing it and kept looking for every opportunity. And then, like I said, toward the end, I, 
uh, was able to kind of get latched on with the broadcast agent who was probably a little, you know, maybe suspicious of my real opportunities and, you know, when I really get a chance to do it um, again, because I know that your names are the ones that are going to get those shots first. Uh, but he got me an audition at, at FS1 when they launched. And uh, right after I was done playing, I did it one year at MLB.com, did a lot of freelancing my first year and uh, got my foot in the door with FS1 and, and went to the audition. They offered me a job and, and things kind of took off from there for me. Um, but always interested, always having the conversations and, and always doing whatever I had to do, just like anything else in this game, just hustling for opportunities uh, to get my foot in the door. Yeah, and baseball is a great conversational sport in general, and it's an outlet where those conversations can take you so many places. But you're right. I mean, it is an absolute hustle and a grind to try to find those doors that are open for you at the right time as well. And thankfully, one of these has opened up here for you in Atlanta. I want to wrap up with this as we've talked a lot about broadcasting, what brought you to Atlanta, what your focus has been throughout your broadcast career. But, you know, you had a playing career that lasted for quite a while as well. You told a fun story on social media about Chipper Jones. You played with the Braves in 2004. Uh, What was that experience like and some of the memories that you took from that and your time in Atlanta as a player? Yeah, I mean, that time in particular was, was kind of a wild one for me. I was at a crossroads of my career. Again, there were quite a few of those over the years. But in that offseason, I had spent the previous season most of it in AAA with the Rangers and didn't have that great of a year. And uh, the Rangers were not a good team back then. And, you know, if you're not having a good year at AAA and you're in your 30s, um, it's going to be tough to, to find yeah. a job. And so I had put a bunch of videotapes together. This is when we're still doing videotapes. You could just start kind of burning DVDs, but not everybody had it so I sent a videotape and a DVD to a ton of teams of just some stuff throughout the year and just looking for another opportunity even though I had an agent I always like to be proactive in what I did and Dayton Moore reached out to me uh, when he was here with the Braves and it said to me he said you know see do you like your stuff uh, we think there's some things you got to work on he's like what we'd be interested in is bringing you in on a minor league deal and not going to major league camp we'll send you to minor league camp uh, get you working with some of our coaches and we think at some point during the year uh, if things progress, then we need some help from the left side that perhaps you could be a guy. And I said, I was all over. I said, I'll take it. I said, I don't even mind. I got, you know, I've been in the big leagues for a while at that point. I don't even mind skipping big league camp. I got to get myself right. The only thing I said to him, I said, if you, if you'd consider, I said, can I just get with one of your coaches now? It was like November. I said, instead of waiting until we get to spring, um, love to start working on whatever plan you guys think you have for me. He said, you know, I love that idea. Let's do it. I went up to Virginia and spent some time with Guy Hansen who did some great work for the Braves over the years. Uh, we worked on a couple of things. He said, listen, I, I, I don't think this is going to be a big adjustment. I'm going to call John Scherholz and try to get you to big league camp, which he did. Wow. He got me into camp and I ended up making the team. And so I went from, you know, not, hey, you got no chance. We're not interested in you for the beginning of the season to getting the work done, getting my foot in the door. And at the very end of camp, Leo letting me know that I'd made the team, Leo Mazzoni. Um, and it was a cool moment for us, right? It's just kind of an accomplishment of the work. Uh, making the adjustments and doing something that even the organization didn't think I'd ever be able to do. And, you know, lasted for a couple of months and they had to make a move. And a good friend of mine, Paul Bird, came off the IL and I go to the DL back then and, and I got sent out. They needed a roster spot and I was getting more time about it. But um, that's just kind of the way it goes. And so that time for me was, it was, you know, it was really important uh, just to prove something to myself. It was one of those times that your back's against the wall and time's starting to run out and how are you going to react? Um, and so I was, I was proud of that and it was fun. And then to put on, of course, that uniform. And the guys that I got to play with, you know, mm-hmm. it was a great team. Um, and, of course, Bobby Cox. You know, I yeah. tell people all the time I played for 40 managers in my career all around the world. And uh, Bobby Cox is, is right there at number one for me. Of all, all the ones that I played for personally, and there's some Hall of Famers in there, Joe Torre, uh, Frank Robinson. I played for Sadaharo, the great Sadaharo wow. in Japan with the 868 home runs. And 
um, some really good names. And I don't say this because I work for the Braves. I've been saying it for years. Uh, Bobby Cops is right at the top. And so we just had such a great experience here. I uh, love the area. Ended up moving here a couple of years later, and we've been here ever since. And, and even a great job in Texas couldn't get me to leave Atlanta. Um, that's how much we love it. So this organization has, has meant a lot for us. Uh, again, even though it was brief, even though probably most people don't remember, it's kind of how most of my career is. And we're okay with that. We understand who we are. Um, but it has shaped me a lot in who I became as a broadcaster. All those different experiences, including the one here, which was really important. You know, go play here for a month, go play here for two months, go play here for a year, get released, whatever it was. And we did that for 19 years. And it really helped a lot of me in what I do now because I've, I've heard about the game from so many different angles, so many different teammates, and all those experiences really did help prepare me for what we do now. Well, CJ, it sounds like you've got some great stories to tell and for Braves country to get to know you over the years to come. I think it's going to be an exciting process for everybody involved. But again, congratulations, a great opportunity for you. A lot of excitement around this Braves franchise, which I'm sure you've seen from afar and are looking forward to getting plugged into that as well as the Braves get back on the road, hoping to reach October and win it all yet again. CJ Nikowski, appreciate all of your time. Look forward to catching up with you as the season grows closer and closer by the day as we tick away the days on the hot stove and count down to spring training. Thanks so much again for your time. I appreciate it. Grant, thank you, man. Really enjoyed the conversation, and I'm with you, man. Spring training cannot get here fast enough. Well, I very much appreciate C.J. Nikowski for making so much time to tell us about his broadcast career, his playing career, his thoughts on joining the Atlanta Braves, and so much more. What a great conversation, and I'm looking forward to many more of those in the years to come. That's going to wrap things up for this edition of From the Diamond. As always, I appreciate you making time for me each and every week. Make sure you subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcasts, leave those ratings and reviews, and be sure to share the show with a friend. You can connect with me on social media, at Grant McCauley on most platforms. Like the show on Facebook, just search for From the Diamond. And if you need links to any or all of the things I've got going on, fromthediamond.com is the place to find those. Well, barring anything crazy, this will be the last episode of the show I'm going to do prior to Christmas, but I look forward to picking up on the hot stove and talking about all the Braves news and rumors and getting you ready for spring training as we look to turn the page to 2024 before too long. And I'll be back with you next week for more Braves and baseball talk. Until then, happy holidays and Merry Christmas. I'm Grant McCauley. So long, everyone.